It's time for Lawyers for Jesus, a show about the dynamic and exciting interaction of faith and the law. Featuring the attorneys from the law firm Malkin Baker in downtown Chicago. Malkin Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and for serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hey, hello, everybody. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm John Malk, a partner and attorney at the law firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are attorneys who follow Jesus and who focus on serving the body of Messiah with its legal needs. To learn more about us, go to malkbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Today, we'll be speaking with Reed Smith. Director of Litigation for the Christian Legal Society's Center for Law and Religious Freedom, where he helps defend and advance religious liberty. Prior to joining CLS, Reed worked as legal counsel at First Liberty Institute, where he defended the constitutional rights of student groups, churches, and other attorneys. Reed also practiced commercial and intellectual property law at a litigation boutique in Houston, Texas and clerked for Catherine Hayes of the Fifth Circuit. Wow, and Judge Paul Stickney in the Northern District of Texas. Reed, God bless you. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus. Well, thank you, thank you for having me. Uh, we start out, anytime we talk to a lawyer, we're wondering, is this an oxymoron? How, how did a lawyer come to know Jesus? Well, you know, uh, a lot of people do have that impression that it, uh, it's an oxymoron. In fact, I uh, gave a talk on that just recently. As uh, In fact, religious liberty is an oxymoron. Uh, but uh, I came to know Jesus uh, in a relatively early age. I had uh, Christian uh, parents and uh, had a few disputes with the church, but uh, I think, uh, you know, God held me close. And so that was uh, a good good thing for me and I love Jesus, obviously. And so you loved Jesus, but then you decided to become a lawyer. What yeah. what led to that faith decision? So it was something I was always interested in. And I think when it really solidified for me is I had actually served as a missionary in Poland for two years. And in Poland, uh, it was just after they were coming off of the, the fall of communism and they're still recovering from that. And so you could see the way uh, that law interfered with uh, people's lives and the, their ability to worship. And uh, that was something that uh, I became aware of more discreetly and concretely. And I was like, well, I'd like to be able to help people uh, get around those difficulties that the government And then as God leads, God led you to Jesus by the Holy Spirit, and then you were led to become a lawyer. Now, as a lawyer, you decided to become involved in religious liberty. How did God mediate that or, or could you see God's hand in that? Uh, so I absolutely could. Um, so one of the things uh, that was uh, interesting for me uh, in terms of God leading my hand in that is I think he had already given me a heart for that. Like I said, having lived in Poland, that was one of the things I was interested in doing. I, I went to the University of Virginia for law school, and uh, that was where I found out about the Rutherford Institute, which at the time uh, was and probably still today is one of the major uh, organizations to promote uh, religious liberty. Uh, and then when I graduated from law school, I worked at the uh, Texas Solicitor General's office, and they had a couple of cases that involved religious liberty issues uh, then. So we have this wonderful array of religious liberty litigators and fighters, including uh, Malkin Baker, our, our firm, but uh, 
the Alliance Defending Freedom and the Rutherford Institute and Pacific Justice. And, and wow, uh, we're all trying to fight for God's God-given freedoms to us and to protect them. Uh, but you're with the Christian Legal Society. Now, in what ways is the Christian Legal Society the same as these other organizations, and how does it differ? So Christian Legal Society is, uh, you know, the way that we're all the same is, uh, you know, I think we can all say that we, we love Jesus and we all uh, fight for religious liberty, not just on behalf of Christians, but on behalf of other groups as well. Um, and But I think the way that we're different is, one, we actually have several ministries. Uh, many of these groups just focus on religious liberty, whereas uh, Christian Legal Society also does Christian legal aid. And we have several uh, law student chapters, so we help people uh, to grow spiritually and while we're fighting for their rights. Yeah, more than several. There's, there's dozens of chapters at law schools around the country for Christian Legal Society. And there's discipleship, uh, let me say, for the average lawyer. You don't have to be a religious liberty uh, specialist, as uh, Malkin Baker is sometimes called, but uh, you can be in trademark work or public defender or working for corporation counsel. So if you're a lawyer or if you have a lawyer in the family or no lawyers, you should get them in connection with Christian Legal Society, which then has an annual conference to disciple and teach and encourage, as well as the local chapters and, of course, the law, the law school chapters. So it's a pretty comprehensive uh, way to reach every lawyer, whereas these other groups are fighting particularly at the uh, religious liberty. Well, we're, we're speaking with Reed Smith of the Christian Legal Society Center for Law and Religious Freedom. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about cases that are coming up and what does your center uh, do in general, and then there's a very interesting case that the Supreme Court just has granted review on. So, uh, Reed, uh, what does the center at the Christian Legal Society do, and what cases are you involved in now? Right. So we actually have, I would say, probably three different uh, ministries, even just in the legal center. So we do uh, a lot of lobbying work. So we try to help uh, Congress pass laws and also the agencies to pass regulations supporting religious liberty. Uh, Kim Colby, who's the director of our center, uh, focuses on those lobby efforts. Uh, we also have a pretty strong amicus practice where we write amicus briefs uh, to the Supreme Court and, and to other cases. Amicus. Yeah. yeah, I know that means friend right. in Latin, but I think a lot of our listeners don't know what what the heck is an uh, amicus brief, or as we call it here in the Midwest, amicus brief. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, an amicus brief is uh, especially in front of the Supreme Court because when the Supreme Court decides an issue, it may be deciding it for the just for the parties in front of it, but it also has ramifications for people throughout the country because what the Supreme Court says is law for the entire country. So an amicus brief is a brief that informs the court, here are the ramifications uh, that this case may have uh, for, for certain groups, and for us it's religious liberty groups in particular. So, so groups that are not directly involved in the litigation say, we want to be heard too. Right. And we want somebody to speak up for us and, and uh explain to the Supreme Court issues and considerations and outcomes that might not be 
uh, litigated by the particular uh, direct parties. Right. So it's it's a grand gathering. Well, uh, usually the Supreme Court, how many am- amicus, or as you say, amicus briefs are filed in a religious liberty case? I think religious liberty tends to be one of the ones that has more briefs filed. It's I would say you typically see maybe maybe two dozen uh, filed on either side on a given case. It, every case is different, of course, but um, I would say probably t- religious liberty tends to be one of the hotter ones for for uh, amicus briefs. And what are the types of groups that want to weigh in and uh, join their voice to the uh, d- d- discussion? Uh, so, for example, we uh, just filed an amicus brief in a, a case that the court uh, heard earlier this year called uh, Montana v. Espinoza, which is a case involving that state's uh, Blaine Amendment. Uh, Blaine Amendment is a state constitutional provision saying that they won't they won't fund religious schooling. And we, we filed that brief. We filed it on behalf of several school organizations like the uh, American Association of Christian Schools and uh, the Association of Christian Schools International. Uh, but we also filed that on behalf of... Uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops and the uh, ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. So a lot of people were uh, very interested in that issue. Wow. Now that gives a lot of perspective, I hope, to our listeners that they can, can they look up these briefs uh, on, the, on the website for the Supreme Court and read them? You, you can. And uh, all, all of the Supreme Court uh, briefs, including the amicus briefs, are available on the court's docket and uh, are easily downloadable. And that you can also, uh, we're working on getting those up on the Christian Legal Society website. Well, I, I don't expect that our, our listeners will go read all of them, but some of, some of them may. And in terms of prayer, and the strategic partnership between Christian lawyers who are fighting the intellectual battles and, and spiritual arguments, uh, prayer is essential. And people may think there's nothing they can do, but when there's an outpouring of prayer and people allow these briefs to touch their hearts, and I really have been touched in reading some of these, uh, particularly in the pro-life area, uh, saying, wow, we need to help these women, we need to help these kids, and God, please touch hearts, touch the Supreme Court. So there's a there's a vital role, and uh, people can uh, look that up and look those briefs up in the Supreme Court website and and pray for just one or two. You don't have to uh, do right. the whole thing, but 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 get involved. Right, uh, and then just to, just to plug ourselves real quick. Uh, in the Espinoza case that I referenced, that oral argument, the uh, CLS brief was the only brief that was raised at oral argument. Wow. Okay, so it makes a difference. Coming up, we're going to talk further with Reed Smith, Director of Litigation for the Christian Legal Society's Center for Law and Religious Freedom, about current cases, including one the Supreme Court has just granted review in, a very interesting case out of Philadelphia regarding adoption. If you have a legal need or question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243 or at malkbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. I'm John Malk, attorney at Malkin Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus.
Hi, this is Pastor McCracken, pastor of the Church of Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Markham, Illinois. For the last four years, our church has been struggling to overcome the city's efforts to shut us down. In the midst of all of our legal issues, we felt overwhelmed and discouraged. All we wanted to do was worship the Lord and serve our community. We needed a law firm that not only had the knowledge of the law, but the same commitment of the kingdom of God. The Lord connected us with the law firm of Malcolm Baker. The attorneys at Malcolm Baker have not only provided us with exceptional legal representation and counsel, but have also provided us with the added gift of lawyers who pray with us and seek the guidance of the Lord at every step. After working with Malcolm Baker, we can't imagine working with anyone else. If your church or ministry has any legal needs, please call us, 312-726-1243, or look us up online at maukbaker.com. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm John Mauk, an attorney at Mauk & Baker, a law firm based in Chicago, which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal needs. If you missed the first part of this show and want to listen online, go to maukbaker.com, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, forward slash radio. Today we've been speaking with Reed Smith, Director of Litigation for the Christian Legal Society Center for Law and Religious Freedom, about their ministry, the cases they're handling. And we have a case that's just been taken by the Supreme Court, Reed, out of Philadelphia. Uh, tell us that case, and how does it how does it affect our listeners? Right. So that case is uh, called Fulton versus the City of Philadelphia, and it's a uh, suit uh, that was brought by Catholic Ministries. Catholic Ministries is one of the largest adoption agencies uh, in Philadelphia, and I believe that the facts of that case are that they will not screen uh, same sex couples uh, for uh, for adoption because and and if same sex couples do come to them, they will just refer to them to another group that does screen uh, same sex couples for adoption. But because of their religious beliefs, uh, they choose not to do that. Well, the city said, if you're not going to screen same sex couples for uh, uh, adoptive parents, then we're not going to have a contract with you. And because the city has basically a monopoly on adoption, uh, then that basically means they've said. Uh, that the Catholic social services cannot be involved in adoption. Well, this case matters in Illinois because uh, several Illinois religious groups that did uh, placement of adoptions, uh, including Catholic charities, but also One Hope United, where I was a board member for many years, and, uh, and s several others, uh, we're told if you're not going to allow gay couples to adopt through your agency, you're out of business totally, even if you're going to refer them to other places. Now, right now, and traditionally, adoption agencies have all discriminated based on age. If you're a couple in your 50s and you want to adopt and there's a couple in their 30s, other things being equal, they will discriminate against you for the best interest of the child. If you're not married, they will discriminate against you for the best interest of the child because two parents are proven to be better than one. Yet when it comes to this gay lesbian uh, issue, 
people are still blinded by thinking it's about discrimination against them rather than the best interest of the child. What's your thoughts on that, Reed? Right. Well, I think um, I, I think at the at the very least, the the Catholic social services uh, as being involved in adoption, their their view on what's best for the child. Uh, should be should be something that's considered because they're the ones who are providing this this service. And so I think it, as a religious group, you know, this country was founded on religious liberty and that that people should be able to abide by their conscience. We we uh, see that in in several things. In fact, uh, when this country was at war, uh, an existential war, even that we said, well, if you have a religious objection to war, we'll find some way to use you. In a in a non-combat fashion. Well, certainly religious belief should be accommodated, but but my position and where we've argued, Malcolm, Malcolm Baker has argued in various cases, it should come down to the best interest of the child, and rather than our religious rights to do what we want to do. And and uh, Catholic Charities in Illinois argued uh, that hey, uh, we should have a religious right to continue to do adoptions. And and I agree, and then there ought to be an accommodation, but that doesn't give you the right to say that we'll do something not in the best interest of the child, because uh, frankly, sometimes a same-sex couple uh, would be a better parent uh, for a child rather than putting them in the foster care or or other situations, uh, not not always. There shouldn't be an absolute discrimination against them, but there certainly should be a presumption based on statistics. I think right. there's one out of Canada that that said uh, children, daughters who were raised by two lesbians, have a five percent chance of graduating from high school compared to a young woman uh, who's raised by a traditional uh, heterosexual couple. Wow. I mean, this is a huge statistic based uh, on 5 million uh, uh, census uh, returns. So uh, that type of thing, and uh, I, I think uh, familystructures.org, another, another website, uh, familystructures.org, has some real interesting studies. So this is going to be brought up to the Supreme Court, and I hope that they argue best interests of the child rather than the best interests of the right. of the agency. No, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the best interests of the child is, is a very important uh, standard. And the Christian Legal Society uh, has been approached and thinking about filing an amicus brief again, that is to bring these other arguments uh, before the Supreme Court that the uh, Archdiocese of Philadelphia may not be making. Right. So how do you go about finding an amicus? You know, one of the, the one of the things that we've been blessed with is because we've had a successful uh, amicus practice that uh, people come to us a lot of times. And then we also have groups that we have worked with before. So, um, so I know, like, for example, the National Association of Evangelicals has asked us if we're planning on filing one. Awesome, Reed. Uh, we're talking to Reed Smith, Director of Litigation for the Christian Legal Society's Center for Law and Religious Freedom. And I'm John Malk of Lawyers for Jesus. Uh, Reed, 
Uh, down in the trenches, uh, we've been talking Supreme Court stuff and uh, uh, Circuit Court of Appeals uh, amicus briefs, but uh, there's a lot of people down in the trenches with problems. And I mean, on the trial level, and even before you get to trial, just counseling uh, people who call and say, I'm being discriminated at work or or uh, have other religious freedom issues, a, a, a church that's threatening, uh, being threatened with a lawsuit by the choir director uh, because they don't think they should hire somebody with his uh, theological views. Tell us about some of those situations. Do you ever get involved in those at the Christian Legal Society? Uh, we do. In fact, uh, that's the third ministry uh, of the uh, Center of Law and uh, Religious Freedom. Uh, and and that was what I was brought on to do, having uh, spent several years doing uh, litigation. Uh, so one of the things that we have seen a lot of is uh, in the realm of schools where religious clubs were being kicked out of schools because of their religious beliefs. And so we're representing some of those groups right now. Uh, in fact, uh, in Maryland, uh, we were able to get... Um, the Good News Club back uh, in uh, to some well, schools. What, what is the Good News Club? I think yeah. we know what the good news is. Yeah, you so, can be reconciled to God through faith in right. Jesus. So the the Good News Club is a ministry of uh, child evangelism fellowship, and what they do is they have after school programs where uh, they uh, do prayer, do uh, Bible study, and do songs. Uh, and they're allowed uh, under the Constitution to to do that. And these are voluntary for the students. Yeah, these, so these are fully voluntary, and they're after school, so they're not part of the school program. And so if a school has any other kind of after-school program, uh, an art program or, or coin collecting or chess club, uh, they need to allow uh, religious-based organizations to come in and offer those to, to students. Is, right. this, is this at any age, uh, grade school, high school? So uh, I think the Good News Club primarily focuses on the, on uh, elementary school uh, age children. But I mean, like you said, if when they allow the Boy Scouts to come in and use their facilities or the Girl Scouts or, or other clubs to use their facilities, they can't say, well, you're a religious group, so we're going to exclude you. So if you want to see one started at your school, uh, listeners can call up the Good News Club and, and they'll they'll say what you need to do to, to set one up. And if you have a legal problem about it, you can call Christian Legal Society in Virginia. Or if you're so inclined, you call Malkin Baker here and, uh, you know, we'll pitch in. We're all on the same team uh, f of fighting for these rights. Uh, tell us about another uh, situation you might have with a, with a on the ground level type person. Uh, so another case uh, that is one where we're representing a, a lady who worked in health healthcare. And uh, when they were on a break, she was just telling one of the other employees about her faith and her view of family. And I get one of the other employees got offended by that. And uh, then they uh, talked to the, talked talk to the administration and she got fired the next day. Wow. And uh, this was on break, so she wasn't doing anything that, other than talking about what one of a hundred topics that people would talk about. Right. And, and one thing to, to, to make clear is she not indicated that she was offended until she told the administration. Wow. Well, that's why we have Christian Legal Society and all these other organizations. And that's why we need you listeners to pray. 
If you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Mount Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243 or at mauckbaker.com, M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Reed Smith, thank you for coming. How can uh, listeners reach the Christian Legal Society? Uh, so the easiest way to reach Christian Legal Society is christianlegalsociety.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, you will find our Lawyers for Jesus podcast at mauckbaker.com or WYLL uh, website. You can also subscribe to our newsletter for legal insights at mauckbaker.com. I'm John Mauck, attorney at Mauck and Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus. Gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.